So how many of you remember, there's this TV show, I guess it's going on now, it's, it's been revamped, but it's a TV show uh, where you receive, if you're a contestant on it, you get a small prize or some sort of gift, and the deal is, well, the deal, I kind of gave it away for you, right, is you are asked to, do you want some, an unknown gift, you can trade in what you have for something, or keep it, and you don't know what the unknown gift is, it's a, it's a game show called Let's Make a Deal, which I just learned that actually started in the 60s. I didn't realize that in 1963 through the 70s is when the show started, and it's been revamped now with uh, Wayne Brady as the host. So I, I just got to know, how many of you knew there was a 1960s version of Let's Make a Deal? Okay, okay, some of you, a lot of you, okay. And, and some of you, I'm surprised you knew that, but that's good. And then how many of you, um, you know of the new, how many of you don't know of either version? I'm looking over at our high school section. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so this show, basically, you're given a prize, and then you can exchange it. And, and I, didn't, I really don't know much about the show, except for one kind of uh, very memorable ending of it. So, but I guess throughout the whole show, you get this prize. You can exchange it in. And sometimes, behind whatever that mystery box or door is, you could have a thing they called a zonk. That's when I realized, oh, it was made in the 60s. Okay, it was like, oh, zonk. Um, anyway, so you could go there and get a zonk, and a zonk might have like a goat sitting there or something like that. So you exchanged your, you know, $500 or your brand new Maytag washing machine for a goat. Could be something along those lines. And which I learned today, actually, if you won the zonk, if you got the goat, technically you won it. Legally, that was your goat. So they were... And the producers had to say, hey, we'll pay you for the goat, unless you want to take the goat. I don't know if anyone ever took the goat home. But anyway, so that was kind of how it went. And at the end of the show, there were three doors. And the person who had the biggest prize of the day could take all their prize, all their winnings, whatever it was, and they could trade it for a chance to get something that was behind the doors. And they could choose which door they wanted. But they had to give up everything that they had in front of them to get what's behind the door. Now, I thought that there also were goats behind the door, but apparently on the winning prize, they were all legit prizes. So I like some of you are like, oh, that's right. How did you not know there wasn't no zonks behind there? Anyway, so, so that's kind of how the game ends with it. You can exchange in everything for potential for something better, maybe a new car. And I guess sometimes you'll get like a box and then, and you think, I got a box, and then there'd be car keys in it, so tricky, tricky. Uh, but I was thinking about that game, and I was thinking, it's interesting how many of us, when we think of our life of faith, we think of how God kind of steers us and directs us, that sometimes we think that God's playing let's make a deal with us. That sometimes there's, we have this life in front of us, and we want to know, God, we want to know what you want for us. And once we're in Christ, we say, we want to follow you, we want to be led by you. But I don't know if I want to exchange what I know for what might behind, be behind door number three. What if behind door number three is something that's not as good as what I'm holding? And it could show up in many ways. Maybe for some of you, you'd say, God, I want to follow you. I want to step out on faith. And I don't know, maybe do you want me to take this new job? I have a new opportunity. Are you leading me? Is this, should I take that? Or what if I go through this door and it's no better? 
Maybe it's in relationships, and you're thinking, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about marry, marrying this person, and, and this, God, are you leading us? Should we get married? And, and, you, and you're looking at it, and it's kind of like you're coming to this door, and you're saying, God, I know on the other side here, do you want us to step through this? And you're afraid that if you open the door, you construction workers, don't judge. This is not to code. But if you, you're afraid as you open the door. Should I, should we get married? What if it's a goat on the other side? And maybe that's a bad analogy, it's goat. So some of you are like, honey, you don't think I'm a goat, right? Biblically speaking, it's actually a compliment. It's a romantic, it's like a pickup line to say your hair is like goat's hair. So just saying. Anyway, okay, so. But what if, how many of us say, God, I just, I don't know if you're going to zonk me. Is this worth it? Is it a zonk? And so we're afraid to step through the door he has. You know, we're in this series called Unstoppable. We're studying the book of Acts. And we're looking at this, the early church. And I love Matt's analogy as he taught us last week. He called the, the book of Acts is like our baby book. We get to look at the beginning of the church and what we're growing into today. And so, but we see this group of people who are Christians following Jesus and they're figuring, they're finding their way in this world. And it was this unstoppable movement that no matter what came their way, the persecution from the outside, even some of the inner conflicts and the, the discussions they had, everything that they faced, the church was unstoppable, and we're still a part of it to this day. But one thing that I noticed throughout the book is they seemed so in tune with the Holy Spirit. They were so led by the Spirit of God that sometimes I look at that and think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be that in tune? To know how God, to be able to discern where God was leading them and what God was asking of them. And for some of us in here, you're thinking, I have no idea how that worked. But we're getting to Acts chapter 16 today is the passage that we're in. And in it, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit was kind of directing the church. And there's a few principles that I think we can learn that will help us discern the voice of God. That will help us when we come to these moments of what's behind door number three. That there's a few principles I think the early church worked through that helped guide them and lead them. And it was their story is their story. It's different than ours. But these principles, I believe, extend to all. So pray with me before we get into the scripture today. God, I thank you so much for today. And I pray that uh, you would just meet us in this place. Lord, meet us for those who are here this morning, maybe in a place of doubt. Meet us for those who are here this morning in a place of depression or anxiety or fear. Meet us for those who are in a place of great joy and celebration. And we're at, wherever we are at today, Lord, we ask that you just meet us in this place, that you would encourage our hearts and you'd help us discover what life looks like in you where we're at right now. So we thank you and we give you this time and ask you to lead. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 16. We're going to start off here, and again, what we're looking at is what are the principles we can learn to discern the voice of God, the leading of the Spirit in our lives. So Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it's going to start off in a way that maybe is unexpected uh, for, for the title, but it'll make sense here in a moment. Now, Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. So 
I should give context. What's going on is last week we saw that Paul and a guy named Silas were sent off on what we call a missionary journey. But what we really learned is for them, they were just living their lives. And part of living their lives was they were on this journey and sharing faith wherever they went. So Paul came to a town called Derby in Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Just for reference, essentially what it's saying is Iconium and Lystra were like 20, 25 miles away from where they were. And and, uh, so this distance between them, we know that Timothy was well spoken of all the way down there. It would be like, hey, there's this brother up in Encinitas, and we're down in San Diego, downtown San Diego, and we know of his reputation. This, this is a person who's a godly person who's well respected by everyone. So that's kind of the context there. So widely known in that region. And Paul wanted this man to leave with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were being strengthened in their faith and were increasing in their number daily. Okay, so let's stop at this point. A few things going on. So we're introduced to this guy named Timothy. Timothy was one who later actually has two books in the Bible written to him. They were letters aptly named, 1 and 2 Timothy. So those written to Timothy... We know here that Paul decides to take him along as as one of his disciples. He's already a follower of Jesus. In fact, we even know that in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. It's kind of cool for you women out there uh, who sometimes maybe you've been trying to live faithfully all of these years and you wonder what is your influence on your kids or grandkids. Here's a great example of someone in scripture who the faith, the sincere faith of the grandmother and the mother made a lasting impact in his life. So hang in there, women. You have a major role in the spiritual life and development of people around you. So that's, so we have Timothy. Now Paul takes him to go with him. Timothy probably at this time was a teenager. He was probably like maybe junior high, maybe early high school. So he was going on his missionary journey. And in fact, we'll be telling you about, we we're sending our high schoolers on a missionary mission trip to Belize this summer. We'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks. But so it's kind of a similar thing, but different requirement of what Paul did to him here. So, so he's calling him on this trip. He says, I want you to come with me. He's half Jewish and half Greek. And the way that it's worded is the father uh, is probably passed away by this point, according to the Greek. So he's left now. He has his mother, and he's half Jewish. Paul takes him and circumcises him. Now, here's an interesting thing. He did this because of the Jews that are in the area, but then they went, and their mission was to deliver a letter to the churches that they had planted in the previous chapters. Now, what does the letter say? In Acts 15, verse 28, this is the message they're bringing to the churches. This is all going to tie together in a moment. The the letter to the churches that Timothy and Paul are bringing is, it seems good uh, to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you, these other churches, with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. So in other words, 
In the Greco-Roman world, they would sacrifice food to Zeus, to Poseidon, to all these idols, and say, hey, now in Christ, why don't you avoid, you know, worship of idols? So that was one. Abstain uh, from blood. That means the blood in the animals, because in a Jewish uh, mindset, the blood represents life. And so if you were to eat uh, food with the blood still in it, it was kind of like eating life. And so for them, culturally, they wouldn't do it. From meat, strangled of strangled animals, so it was an undignified way to kill an animal. It wasn't respecting a God-given creature, so they said, don't eat that kind of food either, um, and that was cultural for them, and then abstain from sexual immorality, which we know was a big part of the Greek life, and sexual immorality actually took life from others. It was a selfish way of living that took life. It didn't value people, especially women and, and kids, and so he said, abstain from these things. So that was their instructions. And he says, if you do these, you'll do well to avoid those things. That was what they were bringing. And the whole reason they sent this letter is because a debate started to say, should they be circumcised or not once they become Christians? And the church said, no, no, no. Just here's a few things. Be culturally sensitive. Let's avoid sexual immorality. Let's be people who give life, not take. Does it seem odd to any of you that the mission to tell them there's, you don't have to follow these requirements, the first thing Paul did to Timothy is say, hey, we got to follow this requirement. It seemed a little odd. Let me help you understand a little. So Timothy being half Greek and, or, and half Jewish, they were going to be interacting with a lot of the Jewish community. And to the Jewish community, they would say, well, we don't trust you, Timothy. If you really are one of us, why have you not participated in, for them, one of the most important rites that was a sign of covenant, which was called circumcision. So he said, we, you, because of that, there would be a lack of trust. There would even be, we're not sure you're with us. Now, has anyone wondered the question, like, how would they even know? <laughs> I mean, that, that's one of those questions. Why don't you just say, like, yeah, I'm <laughs> Uh, just really quickly, it's from Jewish ceremonial cleansing, uh, a, a cleansing ceremony is they have these things called mikvahs, which were where we get our tradition of baptism. It was this giant tank with had two staircases. You walked in one side, went all the way underwater and came out the other side. It was a way to ceremonial cleanse yourself before worship. And I'll just say this. They didn't wear baptism robes. OK, leave it at that. We're moving on. OK, so there you go. So, if you're still confused, ask the person next to you later. Okay, so, so, what do we learn from this? What's the point? What does this have to do with discerning God's voice? Because somehow in this, Paul had this conversation with Timothy and said, I really believe that this is something that God would have us do. Well, why? And here's the first principle for us in discerning God's voice. What we do, let's make it be mo make sure we're motivated by love. We're motivated by love. This is a love for God and a love for one another and love for others. But our actions, when we're one questioning, we want it to be motivated by love. Look at this. I have it on the screen for you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul's writing. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself 
through love. So, hey, this actually, when you're in Christ, is a sign of covenant, but it doesn't make you any more Christian. It's, it's not something that makes you approved in the eyes of God. You're already approved in the eyes of God. So in Christ, your actions aren't changing that status. But what matters is your faith being expressed in love. So if you want to discern God's leading and it's not a motivation out of love for others and a love for God, then it's time to question that. And a lot of our questions and some things that we debate in our lives, let's be honest, are rooted in a motivation for love of self. Would you agree? There's so many times like, God, I'm not sure what you want me to do. And even this, and, and hey, if you pray for a good parking space, that's fine. I know some of you, I'm just letting the Spirit lead me to a good parking space. That's fine. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's because you think, God, the parking space is next to someone who needs to hear about Jesus. I'm sure that's what we're thinking when we're saying that. But, and maybe actually in that, God might say, good, I'm leading you to park really far away so you can bless someone who can't walk as far. So maybe it's that, right? But sometimes our prayers ultimately are, hey God, how can this be better for me? Is it rooted in a love for others, rooted in love for God? Let's even talk about some practical things. Maybe it's you're considering a job change. And you're asking, God, I'm trying to discern your voice. Now how can that be rooted and motivated by love? Well, think of a love for God. Are you is it a job change? And there's nothing wrong with taking a job that's going to pay you more. In fact, that's great. You can be more generous to your local church. But um, it's okay to look for, you know, for promotion and increase and all that. But maybe it's, well, I know this business, this company is really unethical. I know it's not really the kind of place that upholds my values. But hey, it's better. It's better money. So Lord, do you want me to go there? Well, maybe, maybe you become a witness. Maybe you become a light in a dark place. But let's keep all of those, Lord, okay, if I am to love you more and honor you with my life, Mom, I am to love others, now guide my steps. See if it changes it. How about relationships? Single people. This is, that's a tough one, right? Lord, do you want me to maybe enter, should I get married to this person? Now, I think sometimes God, I, I, some people believe that God has only one person out there for you. If you miss that fish, it's the, it, then the whole ocean, there's a lot of fish, but they're not yours. Maybe that's how God works. But, so, but there's a discernment in that process. Now, okay, let's just take a really kind of baseline, not that anyone does this, but like, what are you motivated by in that question? Now, some of you are like, hey, I'm motivated in love. Check her out. Of course I'm motivated by love. That guy's fine. Yeah, I'm motivated by love. And hopefully there is a love for one another. But what if you looked at that and said, God, how can we honor you in this relationship? And it goes beyond just saying, oh, you know what? That person is so good looking. They're going to help me have good looking kids. I'm motivated, Lord. Now, I'll be honest. That's an okay thing to consider. When my wife and I, we've been married for almost 24 years now. So we were 13, we got married, our parents said it was okay. And, uh, and one of the things that definitely drew me to her was her love for God and being able to say, wow, we could honor the Lord in our, in our marriage, we can pursue God together, that we're on the same page there, that is something that is very attractive. And 
she's pretty good looking and get some of that Asian blood mix. It can help my straight white body get some good looking kids. Yes, I mean, that's, that's in there. That's in my mind, but that wasn't the motivation. But it's in there, not going to lie. So thank you for that. <laughs> but ultimately, what are we motivated by when we're pursuing, discerning God's voice? to be motivated by love, and I really believe that that's what Paul was doing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. I have it on the screen. Paul writes this, to the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by any possible means I might save some. Paul's motivation was this, Lord, whatever I discern, wherever you are leading me as I walk, I am willing to give up of myself, to give up of my priorities, give up of my preferences out of love for others and for you. I'm willing to live this way for the sake of the kingdom and a love for them. Now, notice what he didn't say, by the way. I don't think I need to say this, but he didn't say, to the sexually immoral, I became sexually immoral. To the murderers, I became a murderer just to win over the murderers. He doesn't have to say that, but I do think he could say to the sinners, I could explain to them, as Paul wrote, I am the worst of sinners. I'm the one least deserving of God's grace. Hear my story. Yet God poured out his grace on me. And you, no matter who you are, that grace is available. So Paul was able to meet them there. So when we're discerning God's voice, let's be motivated by love. Next one, let's go back into the ver uh, chapter, verse 6 of 16. They passed through the region of Phrygian and Galatian region after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were going down to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So check this out. They're on this missionary journey. Forget about all the geography. Don't let that confuse you what's going on here. Notice the two things that happened here. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Wait. God wants all people to be saved and all to come to a knowledge of his truth. You had Paul. He's like the superstar missionary. He, if you're going to send someone to Asia, guess who you send? You send Paul. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit. But that was motivated by love. A love for God and others. That was, they were self-sacrificial to bring the message. What's wrong with that? The Holy Spirit forbid them from going there. Okay, so they went to, they were going down by Mysia. No, you can't go there either. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit forbids them, prevents them from going. So then they went down to Troas. So here's the next thing. The first thing for us in discerning God's voice is we want to be motivated by love. The second thing is this, and this is going to sound like the most churchy, obvious one. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit. Not led by your logic, not led by your wisdom, not led by what you want to do, but by the Spirit. Now, let's double-click on led by the Spirit, okay? Because if you're like me, you're saying, how do I know? How did they know they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia? Doesn't that sound strange to you? It just seems like, God, we're doing the right thing. Let us go. But they're forbidden. So how does that look? And how do we know we're being led by the Spirit? So I just want to give you a few things to think about and what this looks like. First is this. 
embrace the detours. When we're led by the Spirit, we want to embrace the detours. It is so easy to think that closed doors mean that God's saying, just don't do anything. Don't you think Paul could have said, wait, we were going to go to Asia and preach the word. That's not working. And we don't know how they are forbidden. It could have been that they were going there and the road was closed. There's an avalanche. We don't know. But whatever it was, they said, "Uh, that's not going to work. It'd be very easy to say, well, let's just stay here then and wait. Because we're going to Asia. We're going to find a way. But they didn't. They embraced the detour. They said, well, okay, that door's closed. Let's go to the next one. And that door closed. So they said, well, let's keep moving. Let's go down to Troas. And that's the next point I have for you, is at, uh, keep moving forward is the other one. And all of this starts, by the way, if we have to have the belief of a couple things. One, we have to be convinced that God cares about your life. And I want you to know today that God cares about your life. He cares about your life. And he is actively involved in those of us who are in Christ. You have the Spirit of God in you. So he cares. So maybe the closed doors and the detours, are they're the point. Maybe that's part of the journey. Maybe God's plan for your life is the detour. So we keep moving forward. I remember, and I've shared before many times about well, before coming here, I was part of a church plant in, in Orange County and really loved the church. It was enjoyable. All the problems were my problems, so it was really good to deal with. You know, it was easy. Uh, but I, I loved that church. I loved our mission. But part of it, one of the hardest things, is I was a bivocational. So I was working. I had to get health benefits. So I was leading a local coffee shop, so managing that so that I could get health benefits. So we've, I've shared that with you before, for those of you who know me. But there were so many times when it was like, God, hey, how about this little chapter of bivocational? How about this ends? Because I'm getting up at 4 a.m. every day, and I'm working till about noon or 1, and then I'm going to do church plant work after that, and I have three little kids, and what if we cut out this coffee shop thing, Lord? How about that for your will? (laughs) And as I look back, and even in it, I just saw so many opportunities where there was people who would come to me every single day who've never been in a church, who wouldn't want to go to a church, but they needed their skinny vanilla latte, and they'd come to me every day, and they would share things that they'd share with no one else. And they'd say, I'd say, like, hey, how's your day going? I'm just a little nervous. I have a doctor's appointment today. And as they leave, I say, you know what? I'll, I'll pray for you later as I think of it. They come in the next day, get their skinny vanilla latte, and just one quick little, hey, how did that doctor's appointment go? I was praying for you. I would have so many people crying while picking up their drinks. And their, and their drinks were made right. They weren't crying about the drinks. <laughs> so many people were just sitting there going, no one's ever asked me that. How did you remember about my kid when I told you? And as God was saying, embrace the detour. And just keep moving forward. Where you are right now is where God wants you. He might not leave you here. You might be going somewhere else, but right now, the neighbors you have, the roommates you have, the teachers you have, the boss you have, the parents you have, the kids you have, that's who God has for you. The health struggles you have, that's what God has for you. We don't 
Some of it is hard. But we embrace the detour, keep moving forward. Being led by the Spirit, that's what they're doing. And finally this, this one will sound like, oh, I guess that makes sense, is ask for wisdom. We were talking as a teaching team, and one thing we talked about is sometimes discerning God's will is a trial and error process. Sometimes it's, it's coming and saying, God, I'm coming through this door. Wait, the door's locked. But maybe what he has for you is maybe we check another door and another door, and that's actually, it feels so unspiritual, doesn't it? You want to be, you just want to go like, I know exactly what you want and where I'm going, and this is the school I'm going to. When I get to that school, the girl's going to be there. I'm going to marry her. She's going to have rich parents, and uh, we're going to have a good job. We're going to have perfect kids. That's, I know where I'm going. This is my career. This is how it's going to work. Some people are like that, and it actually works. That's not my story. <laughs> my story is, ah, door's locked. How about this door? We want to ask for wisdom. One of the prayers my wife and I have prayed often sounds something like this. God, we think this is where you're leading us. And we'll even use our, our wisdom our, in logic. We'll even say, like, God, do, we, do you want us to take this job? And we'll even do the pros and cons, and, I, you know, and I'll put points to it. It's in San Diego. That's a plus five. It's in North Dakota. That's a minus ten. You know what I'm saying? We, no offense, but that's truth. Anyway, so you put all those in, in discernment, but then you say, God, this is what we think, where we think you're leading us. And our prayer often goes like this. If we're wrong... Would you just close the door? Would you just lock that door? Because we're not smart enough to figure it out. So we're going to walk through this door, and if we're wrong, you don't want us to, we know you're big enough to close it. And guess what? Sometimes he just does. And that's, it's easier to have closed doors than a bunch of open ones, to be honest with you. So ask for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 2 puts these three together. Consider it pure joys, my, my joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Embrace the detours. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Keep moving forward. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So when being led by the Spirit, embrace the detours, keep moving forward, ask for wisdom as part of the process. Final thing, let's go back into our text, verse 9 of Acts 16. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When, we had, when he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them there. And next week, we'll see they go there. Which gives us to the third point for discerning God's voice. It's motivated by love, led by the Spirit, and the third one is willing to respond. Look at this. Paul has this kind of bad hot sauce dream where this guy is all of a sudden vividly saying, hey, come here to Macedonia and preach the word here. And notice the text. Paul has a dream. Look at verse 10. He saw the vision, and we, so all of a sudden Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is letting you know he's part of the narrative. We immediately left and went. They responded. Now, I'm sure there was a lot of debate and prayer in there. Maybe they said, is this what God wants for us? 
hey, I had this crazy dream of a guy who was pleading with us to go preach the word. Should we go? And I think they probably said, let's do it. Let's go. And you know what? I bet they were willing to get to that port city where they're about to sail from. And if the ship burned down, they probably would have said, like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But they were willing to respond. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks. The door will be opened. I believe what Jesus is letting us know is it's not everything you ask for you get. But when we ask, you receive what you need. And when you seek, you will find what God has for you. And sometimes you just need to knock. And that door will be open. And it's not, let's make a deal. It's not God saying, hey, knock, but be careful, because if you open this thing, this life you know, this comfort you have, all of that, you might find a zonk. You follow me and I open the door, you might just be giving it all up for a go. I just don't think he works that way. Unless he calls you to be a missionary in like Mongolia and that's all they have. But other than that, you probably won't get to go. God's not saying, let's make a deal. He's saying, let's make a covenant. My love for you, my life I have for you is the best life you could possibly ever experience. So if the door opens and I invite you in, walk through it. Trust me. And let's cultivate our lives of hearing from God and responding to God. And let's cultivate a life that doesn't fear what's behind door number three. Because it just might be exactly where he wants you. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you are good to us. We thank you that even in our doubts, even in the times when we try to bust through a door that's not open, and God, times when the door is open and we refuse to open it, the times when we are afraid that you're going to trick us and give us a zonk, God, that you continually, time after time and after time, remind us that we're your sons and daughters and that we are so loved and you take delight in us. And God, so even in our shortcomings, we thank you for your delight. And Lord, we pray that you give us a spirit of hope and a spirit of trust and a spirit of confidence in who you are. And God, we pray that you'd awaken our hearts and you'd lead us by your spirit, God and walk with you for our good for the good of our community so we thank you and give you the rest of this time as we proclaim who you are